and welcome to the No Name Music Cast. My name is Joy, and this is Tim. Yay! Look at Woo! that, Joy. We mixed it up. <laughs> All right. It is always we're going to start the day off with our tip of the day, and I will let Tim go first. Okay. So my tip of the day is reasonably specific, but it's it's general advice for the music lover. Now. If you are into this whole vinyl world and you're buying vinyl records and you've got a turntable, you probably already know all this stuff. But let's just say that you've been into Sainsbury's, Tesco's, Walmart, Target, wherever you are, Woolworths, wherever wherever you shop in the world, and you will have seen racks of these records and you're Mm -hmm. thinking of getting involved, dipping your feet in. I would say don't. And I tell you for why. If, it, if I mean, I say don't, but if it's something that you think, if you think you're going to enjoy and it's a hobby and it's fine. But if you're, if you're on the fence, I would say don't. And this is why. This is my rationale. This is my, these are my tips or general advice. One, the records are incredibly expensive. And in the last year or two, they've got stupid expensive. They've gone from being $16, $17 US to somewhere near 40 a piece. So they've got incredibly expensive. Two... They're becoming hard to find because of production issues, not necessarily mm-hmm. um, pandemic related, but just that all the record pressing plants are working at top capacity and can't make them quick enough. No. The, sec- the second or third thing, depending on how you want to say it, um, the quality is terrible. Like they're making them so quick, they're not quality checking them. So when you play them, they crackle. The the hole is not many in the of dead. Them warped. Yeah, warped. The the hole's not in the dead center. They jump. You know, something brand new you pay forty five bucks for, and it's a poor quality product. And the last point. They, there was a golden era a few years ago where you could buy this stuff used for next to nothing. All the good stuff is gone. All you're going to find is like Christmas albums and junk in thrift shops. Or if you find stuff used, it's going to be incredibly overpriced. So, so I'm just giving some general advice going in. If all of those things appeal to you, get yourself a record player. Enjoy it. It's great. Get the big artwork, collect things, support your artists. It's all great. But if you're on the fence and you're thinking of dipping your little toes into that world... Take my advice. Give it a miss. I mean, and to be fair, I have had my fair of, fair of experiences. That's what I meant to say. My share of experiences in the same way. The first one of the first albums that I bought that was that was new because like I bought a lot of secondhand albums, as you would imagine. You know, I've talked to him about this. I got into the album realm like everybody else in this generation. And one of the saddest ones was I bought the new Guardians of the Galaxy, which Tim even knows it's a good it's a good soundtrack and it even had all the instrumentals but at home it was warped just like completely warped brand new $30 later dual you know it had two albums on or two records on it I was so sad because I was like and then I noticed and I asked him about this the albums you buy now that are more modern they're much thinner in quality like the actual material is cheaper yeah, because they literally can't make them quick enough. I mean, some yeah. of them are 180 gram, which is which is a thicker material. Mm-hmm. But they said it's just the the quality is not there. Uh, it's, it's fine if if you're just buying it just to have something cool and you're going to put it on your shelf and you want to support an artist. That's that's fine. But if you're if you're buying it from somebody like myself who likes to buy that stuff and actually use it and enjoy it and listen to it, it's that's exactly what you're going to get. You're going to get something brand new that costs 30 bucks that's warped. Exactly. And I love the idea of listening to vinyl, but honestly, I'm going to say something controversial. Don't come from the internet. I don't always think it sounds better. It depends. I've got CDs that sound amazing and I've got CDs that sound terrible. I've got records that sound like the best thing I've ever heard in my life and records that sound appalling. Like I've got Daft Punk's random access memories on a twin vinyl set Mm-hmm. That is the best I've ever, ever heard that. You know, I've heard the CD, I've heard the digital files, everything. You put that on, whoever mixed, mastered, and engineered that and pressed it knew exactly what they were doing. However, it did take me two attempts to get a good copy from Amazon. But my second copy sounds great. And the one that I'm going to say is cliche that I actually think sounds better on vinyl. And I hate to say because it, it makes me sound kind of like, oh, of course she would say that. It's actually, I will say the wall, like Pink Floyd on vinyl sounds really good. 
Yeah, especially if it's an original pressing, so it'll be it analog, 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 analog. That's the other thing is that anything you get now, even a classic album, if it's a repress, it comes from a digital source. So it's almost the same as buying a CD or a digital file because it, that's, that's where its origins from. It's not like it's sort of analog in the studio, analog to tape, analog to the pressing plant, and then analog to your home. It gets turned to digital, so what's the difference? Exactly. And I, I will say that one was one that I went on eBay, searched long and hard. The whole out al- the actual like album cover was in terrible condition, but I was hopeful, put it on and it was fantastic. It's soon. It, it, it's such a like album. That I think when you have to listen from all the way from A to Z, right? You need to hear it from the beginning to the end. And it, it's very encompassing. That's one. And I do like my Dolly albums because I've got a lot of Dolly Patton albums and I'm partial to them. But overall, I'm not one that automatically assumes that vinyl is going to sound better. No, like I said, I, I've, I've bought some used stuff that was that was out, you know, whenever it came out in the 70s or the 60s or whatever. And you play it on a nice turntable and it does sound absolutely amazing. But as I said, equally, I've got CDs I've bought that sound absolutely amazing. So it's almost like the medium is almost irrelevant. And it's fair to say that for most people who haven't spent multiple thousand dollars on turntables, mm-hmm. in most instances, a digital file or a CD will probably sound better than your record player. Now, that's probably a controversial thing. And the people listening to this are going, no, how can you say that? I know, Tim, we're going to get canceled. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, if you have a really nice turntable and a nice system and nice speakers and stuff like that, you can get some amazing sounds out of a turntable. And as I said, I have records that sound significantly better than CDs in my collection. And that's that's just, just how it is. But for most people who are going to buy a Crosley or a very low-end turntable, your digital file, your CD is probably going to sound better than your record version. Well, Dar, there's our hot take for the day. Me and Tim, if we still have a podcast next week, we'll see you next Wednesday. <laughs> All right, well. But if I can just tail end this tip, as I said, if you enjoy that, it's fine. If you want, you will probably already understand that if, if you, uh, if you're already enjoying it or if you want to get into it and you think it's going to bring you a lot of joy and happiness, do it. I'm not stopping you. I it's don't just, care. It's just, <laughs> just do uh, what you're going to do, boo. And yeah, if, if you think you're going to enjoy it, please do it and have fun with it and collect them and play them and all that kind of stuff. But they, these are these are just my experiences dipping my toes into the vinyl world. And I'm currently retreating away from the vinyl world and eBaying some of that stuff. Or actually, to be fair, most <laughs> of that stuff. Though I'm keeping my Bucks Fizz album and not taking that away. Or my five star album. That's going nowhere. Tim's going to buy a new couch here soon, guys, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, right. I'm about I'm about five gigs away from buying a new couch. I'll be reporting <laughs> back when I have it. <laughs> Well, that'll be the Instagram post for the week. Tim got the new couch. I mean, anyway. I'm, I'm buying. I'm going to buy this couch with rock and roll proceeds. I mean, how many other people are going to have a L-shaped sectional <laughs> that was bought exclusively from rock and roll? I mean, do what you got to do. All right. So my uh, tip of the day is. OK, let me press it this by saying Charlie broke a glass in my kitchen on Wednesday. I think it's Wednesday, maybe Thursday, Wednesday and or Thursday on Friday night, very late into the night. I was up late having fun doing as people do. Mm -hmm. I was walking around my kitchen and stepped on a piece of glass after Charlie had very scrupulously and Charlie has like really good eyesight. It's very weird. Um, Thought he got rid of all of it. But of course, my foot found the one piece of glass that was left there. So moral story is when you break a glass in your kitchen, wear shoes for at least a week in your kitchen. Don't think two to three days is enough if you're me to make that a normal time frame. I ended up having to go the next morning, Saturday morning at 7 a.m. and get three stitches in the bottom of my foot because it would not stop bleeding. Um, it didn't just cut me, it sliced me. And I can't stress enough the one place you don't want stitches is on the bottom of your foot. It's, it is as bad as you think. Yeah, I mean, you you told me about this when it happened. And I, I was just thinking how incredibly painful that was. And I remember as a kid 
being at the seaside in the sea and then scrape, you know, cutting your foot, you know, just a scrape and how incredibly painful that is. And I can't imagine what it's like literally slicing the bottom of your foot open with a piece of glass from your kitchen. Yeah. So I did, of course I did it on the ball of my foot. So it's like where you put all the pressure on. I went to my, so I am very lucky. I do a thing where I have a doctor who provides me urgent care and all this kind of stuff. So I never really, unless like I have a heart attack or something, have to, you know, dress like an ER or something, which is good because ERs in America are very expensive. So anyway, I um, contacted my doctor. I had bled through the bandage over and over and over from like 12 a.m. to 7 a.m. I was in pain, you know, all these things. So he looked at it. He put three little stitches in them. I got the stitches removed today. So that was good. Mm-hmm. Um, it healed up okay. The thing is, is there was also the factor of it's on the bottom of your foot, infection. You know, they had to do all the work. But yeah, my tip of the day is do everything you can because I've had many injuries, as you guys are aware. I've had <laughs> I've had stitches in my arm. I've had stitches in my leg. I've had stitches in my stomach from various things, anything from a mole to like an actual injury. Right. It was not my first rodeo with stitches. This by and large, three stitches on the bottom of my foot way more painful than any other place I've gotten a stitch. And I have tattoos and piercings. <laughs> Can't stress this enough. Don't get stitches on the bottom of your foot. That's my um, tip of the day. Yeah, it's um, it's like I want to wrap you in bubble wrap, Joy, <laughs> just and before you go out into the world. But then, then like you're in your own home and it happens. So I, I, I'm, a, I'm completely at a loss. Though I do did say one thing that you should get is you should get some clogs for your house. Specifically, Brian make clogs. Yeah, you. In fact, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you now. Hang on a second. This is oh, what you want to get, Joy. The clogs. <laughs> and you want to get a Toflan Scandinavian Comfort Classic Clog Anti-Static in white. Okay. <laughs> and that is the Brian May approved Talisman of Tone <laughs> Clog. We are not sponsored. No, <laughs> <laughs> if our friends at Toflan Classic Clog want to sponsor our podcast, I'd be happy to do that. We would love that. But just duly note, we are not sponsored. We are just recommending options. But to be fair, I am generally someone who goes barefoot, but I have taken to slippers now, and maybe I just need to live that life. But I mean, this wasn't, and this is the dumb part. This happened once before. I broke a glass or Charlie broke a glass or, you know, you know, no matter how many years you live, every once in a while you break something glass in your kitchen. Like it just happens. This is maybe three, four, five years back. Somebody knocked something off the counter and it broke. Fine. We cleaned it up, moved on with our lives. Not a big deal. Well, my foot found a piece a week later and it got stuck in my foot and a doctor had to dig it out. Ew. Because it like embedded, embedded. It didn't have to have stitches that time because it didn't really slice, you know, it just like stuck in my foot. And I'm like, ah, why does this hurt so bad? But it was literally a week later. I don't know how my feet find the one little slither that makes no sense. Okay, well, now that I've literally freaked everybody <laughs> out and they don't want to think about pieces of glass going into their feet, I'm going to go to the topic. <laughs> <laughs> so what you got for us, Joy? What's this week's topic? Um, this week's topic is the top songs by every decade. Oh, okay. So, I looked at the different songs from the 40s, 50s, 60s, and today, and we're just going to talk about them, what they made me think of, and see if maybe that's kind of what you figured it would be. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. I've got um, something that gives you about the top 10 songs of every decade. Obviously, we will have time to talk about all of them. We're just going to hit the highlights, and then me and Tim will do what we do and somehow talk about how to iron your T-shirt tomorrow or whatever. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) So weird thing was, so I started in the 1940s. I didn't really feel like we need to go further back than that, right? I tell you, I'm, um, a, I'm a big fan of the 30s. I tell you, there was some, uh, there was some rocking music back then. Well, you know what the top song in the 1930s was? It's Judy Garland's Over the Rainbow from oh, yeah. The Wizard of Oz. So there you go. I mean, that's obvious. Also, I think it's funny that Ella Fitzgerald song a tisket a tasket was <laughs> anyway anyway i just thought that was interesting so anyway so that was for the 1930s but the 1940s top hit was and this seems to be a ongoing trend in the 1940s was big crosby with the darby singers white christmas yeah I, and that's one of those songs that even though it's from the 1940s you know in 2022 christmas 2022 People are still going to be playing that and people are still going to think it's a classic Christmas song, yet it is 80 plus years old at this point. 
Well, here's the crazy thing. Number three was um, Glenn Altry's Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, which mm-hmm. is still a hit today. Yeah, yeah. And then number six was Nat King Cole's The Christmas Song or Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire. It's normally known. Wow. So. It's, it said it's, it's funny to think that that stuff is from the 1940s. Yeah. As I said, you, you get like a compilation album or a Spotify uh-huh. playlist of Christmas classics for Christmas 2022. All those songs are going to be on it. Uh, yeah, and it's just crazy to me because I'm like, I I don't know, I guess 1940 is the height of Christmas music. I'm not sure. Maybe it was White Christmas was from the movie White Christmas, I would I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Maybe there was a lot of Christmas movies during this time. I'm not sure. Number two, and I am not familiar with this song, and maybe Tim is, so don't come from me. Internet. I have no idea who Arden Shaw is. It's a song called Stardust. Yeah, that was... Doesn't um, ring a bell. No. Um, and then there's a song called Chattanooga, Chattanooga Choo Choo, which I have heard, um, but I wouldn't know who Glenn Miller with the text Bennett and the four mandarins. Well, oh, yeah, I've heard of Glenn Miller. He's a, he's a big band leader. I've heard the song, the Chattanooga, Chattanooga Choo Choo before, which that was when Big Bam was in. So that makes sense. And then, of course, Doris Day. We do know who she is. Mm-hmm. It's um, Sentimental Journey by Doris Day. And then it's. Tommy Dorsey with Frank Sinatra and the Pie Poppers, I'll Never Smile Again, which Ooh. I am familiar with that song. And then Cliff Edwards, When You Wish Upon a Star, and Duke Ellington's Take an A-Train, or Take the A-Train. Yeah, and I, I've heard that song before. I have, and a lot of those names are very familiar. It's just I couldn't tell you who Ari Shaw was. And maybe we do know this all. We'll give you play. You know what I mean, Tim? Sure. We just don't know we know it. So going into the 50s, these are going to come more committed become more familiar right uh the number one song in the 1950s just across the board was billy holly in the comets we're gonna rock around the clock yeah yeah rock rock i mean that is a that is a classic song from bill haley in the comets i mean i i think bill haley had other hits but Mm -hmm. he's he's known for being the rock around the clock guy and i'm gonna come in it's here so when I was in show choir, somehow that song ended up in our spring choreography occasionally. And what's interesting with that song, you know, going to rock around the clock. It's a four count. It's a very classic mm-hmm. box step four count. And I can't tell you how many times I've done right foot, cross, left foot. Like if, if anybody who's ever been in show choir could tell you how many times that four, that um, what is it called? Uh, jazz square comes up, right? Mm-hmm. The jazz square is what it's called. And I, somehow I've done that to we're going to rock around the clock at least 70,000 times. <laughs> that and jingle bells i don't know what it is anyone who ever decides choreography for like we're gonna rock around the clock or jingle bells it's always that jazz square <laughs> on repeat so, i don't know so then another one that's pretty familiar i don't know if i'm gonna i don't know if i'm saying his name right but i do know the song it's mac the knife but it's bobby darren darren is that right yeah, Bobby Darren. So, okay. I mean, uh, Frank Sinatra famously covered Mac the Knife, but it mm-hmm. is a uh, is a Bobby Darren song. I'm not really sure what Mac the Knife is about because it's about it's got shark and something else. And I, I always thought it was about sharks. <laughs> I mean, was I supposed to think it was about something else? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Ma- Ma- it a, that is shark it a thing? Oh, God, his teeth, dear, <laughs> blah, 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 and they're pearly white. I, I. I don't know what the actual meaning of that song is. I mean, but then it says like just get a jack, you know, a jackknife and his old mech heath or something. I don't know. It's like weird words after that. But like I kinda always thought it was about a shark, but now I'm wondering, was there like a commercial in my childhood where they were selling like seafood or something and there was a shark <laughs> and Mac the knife was playing and that's why I think that? It's it's possible. I've never really given the thought of the lyrics of Magnum. I have a great deal of thought. Oh. I mean, I love I love Frank Sinatra, and I I love some of the the, the big band standards that he did. Wait and a I, second, though. I'm sorry, sorry, I cut you off. Doesn't it say something at the end about Mackie's back in town? Yeah. Is the shark back in town, or is Mackie like a gangster? He ah, he could be he could be a gangster. Which would make sense why I think. Tr- Sorry, conspiracy theory here, which would make sense why Frank Sinatra picked it up. That's true, because he, he was chairman of the board, as they say. He was. And I cut Tim off the theory sentence, but it caught it down on me. The last thing about it is something about Mackie's back in town or, you know, something like the boy is back in town or something. 
<laughs> yeah, because uh, if you say Mac the knife, suggests that maybe Mac is a some kind of gangster character who has a knife. And then, like you're you're using the metaphor of saying that he is a shark with his pearly white teeth. I, I don't know. Now I'm disappointed because I thought it was about sharks. <laughs> I swear there had to be like some commercial when I was a kid, and it was like advertising like tuna or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? And there was a shark, and that's why I think Mac the knife was about a shark. Hey, but hey. then I've never thought about it really. <laughs> Maybe we need an an offshoot podcast where we deep dive into songs that we don't really know what they're about and then form our own theories. <laughs> what a revelation me and Tim just had. Maybe it's about gangsters. <laughs> We're bringing you the hot topic from what year? 1959. <laughs> I tell you, this this is top quality um, stuff here. Okay, anyway, there's literally someone screaming at us going, okay, dummies, of course it's about. Anyway, so the funny thing is, is back to the 50s. This So from that was number one and number two. So from number three to number six, think of one artist who was super popular in the 50s, Tim. Could it be Elvis Aaron Presley? It was. Yay. So Heartbroke Hotel, Hound Dog, Don't Be Cruel, and then Jailhouse Rock. All of them stone cold Elvis classics. And those are like, like, I feel like his main songs. Like, you know what I mean? Like maybe Suspicious Minds is up there. But like, I feel like those are the songs people know from Elvis. Yeah. I mean, that's from the initial classic Elvis era. And of course, later on, you get the Wonder of You and uh, all that kind of stuff. But what's crazy about it is Heartbroke Hotel was 1956. Hound Dog was 1956. Don't Be Cruel was 1956. So those were probably all three on the same album, I would assume. And then Jailhouse Rock was 1957. Like he was just static hit after hit after hit. Kind of like we were talking about on the Beatles episode. Mm-hmm. Just one right after the other, knocking it out. Well, you know, C- Colonel Tom Parker had him working. That's what it was. The, the, yeah. the, the Colonel wanted his 71% share of the Elvis money or whatever it was. And, you know, it's crazy if you think about this. This was because, you know, Elvis went to Vietnam. So my dad's a Vietnam veteran and like I'm very familiar with the time frame. And this was pre-Vietnam. So he was really famous, already had this many hits and still chose to go to Vietnam. I, I thought he was drafted. I didn't think he had a. a um... Well, I think he could have got out of the draft was the thing. He had an out and he chose to take it. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I don't think I don't think he did any long tours in Vietnam. I think he was I think he was discharged because it was hard having Elvis in the in the army. I would I imagine right? people probably want to like, I don't know. I've never heard that specifically. I just thought it was a big deal that he could have easily because, you know, if you're in the middle, if you have like a career issue or you have. Well, for our non-American friends or anybody who does isn't familiar with the American draft, like if you were going to college or which is why, like, you know, like think like CCR, you're born with a silver spoon in your mouth. That's how you got out of getting drafted. Those mm-hmm. type, you know, statements are made. Or if you had like a long term career or maybe you just had a baby, you could easily get out of your draft card. It was known. And so I think the thing with him is that he chose to go. Now, whether I don't I thought he did. And maybe the, maybe I'm wrong, but I thought he did two tours. But maybe I've heard that wrong. I mean, you could be right. I mean, I, I've never really looked much into the military career of Elvis. I mean, I've been to Graceland a couple of times and uh, I'm feeling really with his music. And I've seen his um, Vegas white suits on display in his racquetball court. But I don't really know much about his military career. So here we go. We have this thing called Google. Gave <laughs> <laughs> it a goog, everybody. He served in the United States Army from 1958 to 1960. So he was there for two years. There we go. I take Elvis. I take it all back. And he was also offered the chance to enlist in special services. Oh, no. Despite being offered the chance to enlist in special services where he was going to all he was going to have to do is entertain the troops. So they gave him an option to not have to go to the war front. He chose to go. Oh, well, good on you, Elvis. Yeah. So but what I was getting at and what's crazy is these songs would have been pre Vietnam. So he was already this famous when he went. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's crazy. Would you you look at that? Not that this is like a historical knowledge podcast. We at Tim don't know anything about that. <laughs> but well, we know, we know some things, but it's mostly, you know, who was in episode 14 of Charlie's Angels, not like anything no. anyone wants to know. 
No. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, basically. We could tell you what the baseline was in that song, but that's about it. That's 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 about you, Lowell. Okay. So number seven was Chuck Berry's Johnny Be Good. Shocking, mm-hmm. not. Patty Page's Tennessee Waltz. Ray Charles's What I'd Say, and then the Everly Brothers, All You Have to Do is Dream. Fabulous. And if I could just say, like, Chuck Berry's Johnny Be Good. I mean, you, you people talk about influential guitar players and people talk of Jimi Hendrix and they, they talk of, you know, insert your favorite guitar player here as being the most influential, etc. It all starts with Chuck Berry, because if it wasn't for Chuck Berry and Johnny Be Good, there would be no rock and roll guitar. There would be no guitar being the thing. <laughs> it, it starts with him. It just 100 percent starts with him. And. He kind of had, okay, this is going to sound weird, but just hear me out. He had the swagger and the mentality that I think led into the rock stars that we know. Well, 100%. Yeah. Like that stagemanship mattered. Yeah, it it does. Yeah. His his attitude, the way he approached the stage, the way he entertained, the the music that he created, you know, being the guitar hero, etc., all starts with Chuck Berry. I know. And that's just, and so like you, and that, and he's just so strange. If you've never actually went back and maybe this is what we'll post on the make a note to him. We'll find an old school video of him performing back in the day. He just had a very aura around him that I think is just as important, if not as important as playing your guitar to become because, and, and Tim, you know, this as well as I do. At least 50% of becoming a famous musician is about having an it factor. Yeah. Right. It's it, it does make the difference if you can't command a stage, because I've seen concerts where it's obviously the person could command a stage and it, it makes a difference for the audience member. Like it can be boring. Yeah. The music's good. Yeah. They sound good. But if you can't command a stage and put out a presence, you just don't last long in the industry. No, and it's like I I saw Van Halen with David Lee Roth and on the last couple of tours. I think it was 2012, and I saw them in 2007 and 2008, and that was not long after David Lee Roth rejoined Van Halen. Now, certainly by 2012, David Lee Roth's voice was not good. I mean, he was never the greatest singer on record, but certainly in his senior years, his voice is shot. He is not a good singer, and Uh and certainly – the tours they did just before um, we lost Eddie Van Halen, the vocals were, were not good at all. But it's only in 2012 his vocals were poor. However, he commands that stage. He owns that stage. He is the party. He is the the guy you want to be watching. He he is the ringmaster. He's everything. And the fact that he's not a good singer is almost irrelevant because he's David Lee Roth. I agree. And, and that makes all the difference in the world. It really does. So... We're going to go to the 60s. Now, Tim, I imagine you can guess two bands that appear on this quite a bit. It would be The Searchers and Billy J. Kramer. Yes, you nailed it, Tim. (laughs) Who do you think is number one, though? I would say it would be The Beatles. Sadly, that's what everybody would assume, but it's actually The Rolling Stones. Oh, wow. So the Beatles are number two and they're on the list in other places, but it's, I can't get no satisfaction from the Rolling Stones. Can I, can I give you an interesting geeky fun fact about satisfaction? Go for it. It's probably the first ever instance of somebody using a fuzz tone effect on a guitar. Hmm. And it is a Gibson Maestro fuzz unit being used by Keith Richards for that. What does the fuzz unit actually do? Well, like like when you play guitar, typically you want your amplifier to sound distorted. So like in in most instances, if you have like a radio and you turn it up and it starts distorting, it sounds terrible. But on electric guitar, you want the sound to be distorted because that is the sound of rock where it goes ka-ching. But it also like makes the chords connect and stuff, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. it rings and harmonics and all that kind of stuff. A fuzz tone is a type of distortion, but it's a square wave Mm -hmm. clipping, meaning that it's not necessarily always a pleasant distorted sound that rings and all these harmonics come out. It's odd harmonics in a square wave thing where it's clipping. And it gives a very distinct kind of sound. Mm -hmm. And that fuzz tone is what you hear on... um, on satisfaction. Now, other guitar players have used fuzz tones and different variations of it, but certainly mostly for most people, the first recorded instance of it is that riff in satisfaction. Interesting. I mean, 
I would have known that at all, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let I'll me tell you, I'm full of useless guitar facts that will bore nearly all of our audience. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least you know it, Tim. <laughs> no, nah, I'm kidding. It's very interesting though. Cause like, I mean, I was, I was interested to know what difference that makes. And it makes sense though, because, and this is going to sound very small. Well, I actually know this in an instance with piano too. When you're learning to play one thing that happens, like when I learned to play the piano and now that I'm learning the ukulele, there is a distinct difference between a choppy player and a, when it starts to flow, Mm-hmm. And when it starts to flow and you get that kind of like long spin, you were talking about like a distortion almost, that's when things start connecting, like mm-hmm. what people are not getting. So when I play really well in the ukulele, you can tell because it doesn't sound choppy anymore. The things are connecting and one note is ringing and connecting with the next. If you don't have that, it doesn't sound right. So I would imagine that kind of plays into the distortion thing on top of just sounding like rock and roll. So anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the other, number two is the Beatles. Hey, Jude. No shocker there. No, I mean, I mean that is a. I, I, would you would you consider that a power ballad, maybe, or is that a different thing? I almost, I almost feel like "Hey Jude" in my mind is almost like acoustic. You know, it starts off, but I mean, at the end where it's all building yeah, up and then they're all singing, true. and is it is it almost the first instance of a power ballad, sort of? Kind of. I mean, it's very built on that kumbaya, let's all get together, intense choir kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's hard to tell. But it could be. Maybe. I can't think of anything. Because even like if you think of, okay, this is a weird instance, but um, like a prayer from Madonna mm-hmm. kind of plays on that whole slow, almost acoustic intro. And then you build and you get that harmonic, like you're saying like a power battle in the background. So it's the same kind of staging for a song maybe sure and I, and I love like a prayer that that is a great song and guy, Pratt, guy Pratt plays bass on that and he's the guy who played with pink floyd towards the end of their run that yeah. is my favorite my all-time favorite madonna song just saying yeah i, I would agree I, that that is a fantastic song i remember when it came out but you see what I'm saying, though, how it's the same kind of build that you're yeah, talking it's, about. It's exactly the same thing. It starts. I mean, that that's that's a little bit more up tempo at the beginning. But yes, well, at the yeah. end, you've got the choir going and it's building and building and building. Yes. But I mean, there's probably a few other issues. That's just the first one that comes to mind. Number three is a song that I actually I hate to say this. I'm kind of burnt on. I, I could. I love this song and I loved it back in the day as a Motown person. But I've heard it so many times now. It's Marvin Gaye's. I heard it through the grapevine. Yeah, this, this this is a great song. It's an iconic song. It's a legendary song. But as you say, it's easy to get burnt out on it because TV commercials have used it. Uh, every film has used it. Every TV Those show has used it. used it. Do you ever see the raisins, the California raisins? Or is that an American thing? I'm fully aware of the California raisins. <laughs> okay, and let me tell you why I'm fully aware of the California raisins, because okay. every Christmas we watch Claymation Christmas. And Claymation Christmas is like one of these shows that we have. We have about 10 or 12 TV shows that we watch every I year. I know what you're talking about, because Charlie Baby watch it this year. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of Hannah's favorites, and it's one that we watch every single year. And there's a section in it where they have the California raisins. And I listened to another podcast, which is actually another one I would recommend called Bizarre Albums. Okay. And they did a whole thing about the California Raisins. Dang, they took my next topic. Yeah. (laughs) And the California Raisins, um, not only were they advertising raisins, but it became an entire cultural phenomenon type thing. Yes. So one thing I distinctly remember growing up in America in the time of the California raisins was, you know, like when in the summer, when people put those sun visors up in their window and there's always a picture, Mm -hmm. there was a very distinct few summers where every picture was the California raisins in people's cars. I don't know (laughs) why. That's just what it was. And they did a version. I've heard it through the grapevine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm sure that they were in everyone's cars because they were being sold in Walmart or something. Yeah, it's probably cheap. But anyway, I just remember that being a thing. So I'm going to in the just because of time, I'm going to run through the next few songs. And then we can talk about number four is Aretha Franklin Respect. The Beatles, I Want to Hold Your Hand. Mm-hmm. The Beach Boys, Good Vibrations. Every one of these is just hit after hit after hit. The sure. 60s were a good time for music, guys. The Beatles, Yesterday. Bob Dylan, Like a Rolling Stone. 
my personal favorite, Otis Redding, sitting on the dock of the bay mm-hmm. and the animals, the house of the rising sun, which is also a karaoke go to for me. Exactly. Do you want to know a fun fact about House of the Rising Sun? What's that? It was recorded in the last 10 minutes of a session. They used to do it as a warm-up song. It's not their song. It's like a traditional song. Mm -hmm. And they had 10 minutes left in their recording session and then just enough tape to record it. And they said, oh, why don't we just uh, record that and see what happens? We always play that as sound check. Boom! Because it's like a, it's like a, almost like a known song out of like certain areas. I I know what you're talking about. It wasn't their song directly. No, it's 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 the one who made it bigger. Yeah, it's like, it's a traditional type song. But um, it's their version, though. And I'm one of those people I, I have say I've had a lot of friends seems to be one. And maybe Tim can shed light on this. I haven't looked on the ukulele, but a lot of my friends who are not that are novelist guitar players can pick up on it pretty easily. Yeah, it's A minor, C, D, F, A minor, E, A minor. That's the whole okay, song. then I could play that on the ukulele yeah. in five minutes. Okay. So a lot of times when I've played with friends or people have asked me to sing with their band or do different, you know, things, House of the Rising Sun always comes up. That and um, Old Crow Medicine Show. Don't ask me why. Those are the two. <laughs> it's just the way of the world. I think I probably told you my brother-in-law almost was in Old, old Crow Medicine Show. Did I, I think return? you did once, maybe. But yeah, I don't think you so, did on the podcast. Yeah, so he auditioned for Old Crow Medicine Show. He's my brother-in-law is a virtuoso banjo player. He's a fabulous banjo player. He's really into that big that Franklin County bluegrass uh, scene type thing. Not my kind of music, yeah. but he's he's known as you know who you want if that's the kind of stuff you want. And he got the he auditioned for Old Crow Medicine Show. Their banjo player left, and they needed hmm. someone. He was recommended to him. He, he auditioned with them. He got the gig, and oh. then he was just about to get involved in the world of being an Old Crow Medicine Show. And the old banjo player came back. That's what you told me. Okay, now now it does ring bells. I don't think you've said it all the thing, but um. Yeah, I remember that you talking about it now. That's kind of sad, though. Yeah, and then apparently, like, a few weeks after he got the nod that he didn't have the gig because the banjo player came back, he was watching Late Night with Conan O'Brien, and guess who was on there? Old Crow Medicine Show. Ouch. Way to add insult to injury, right? (laughs) Oh, well. That's life. Okay, so the 1970s, Tim, I'll give you one guess, and it's not disco. Um, it's a band you love. I don't know. It's your favorite band. Queen. It's Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, the thing <laughs> is, I, I tune Bohemian Rhapsody out because it's an amazing song, but I'm sick of it. A hundred percent. And there's so many other songs that are better. Oh, so I mean, many. on the same album, Prophet Song is a hundred yeah. times better than Bohemian Rhapsody. I'm in love with and- my car. I don't know, Sweet Lady, whatever you want from that album. And but... everybody wants to make Bohemian Rhapsody in the song that everybody knows. So we go sing it together. And I'm like, let's not. <laughs> like, I just, I yes, I agree with you. Number two is once again, not a shocker. John Lennon's Imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, number three is Joy's favorite, the Bee Gees, Stag Alive. Well, and that, and that that is a that is a great song. I, have you seen the video for that recently? I've seen that video many times, but not recently. Like when they're in, like I can see them coming out. They're like out in the open and they're like in an old building or something. That's it. Yeah. So watch yeah. it. Watch it with fresh and crispy 2022 oh God, eyes. This. You see them with their massive flares like and popping their, t- their heads out. And yeah. Stuff. Tight trousers and like silky clothes. And they're walking through what can only be described as a building site. Yep. And it makes no sense at all. And it's like, this is the best thing and I've ever seen. <laughs> Barry Gibb is wearing a red shirt, right? He's got like a red V-neck and like his trousers. And you can see his, his very 70s bell bottoms. My mom maybe watched that a lot as a kid. Okay, now I need to do that because I'm very familiar with what they're doing in that one. All right. Number four is an all-time favorite. It's um, Simon and Garfunkel's Bridge Over Troubled Water. Mm-hmm. Uh, number five is one that I can't hear anymore, but I... I appreciate it because it's iconic, but it goes with Bohemian Rhapsody. It's Hotel California. Yeah. Ho- 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 Hotel California is um, it's the, an iconic, amazing song, and it is utterly overplayed. 
Tim was so frustrated with it, he punched his mic there for a minute. Yeah, I did that by accident. I was, I was, channel, I was channeling my inner joy. Because... I know I haven't knocked the table yet, so... Let, 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 me, uh, let me just let you into a no-name music cast production secret. So when we started this podcast, Joy used to whack the table and whack the mic a lot. And I used yeah. to spend a lot of time in uh, in um, Studio One, the, uh, the digital audio workstation I use, going through editing all of these donks out and then after a while i thought ah whatever we'll just leave them in <laughs> eventually i stopped hitting the table as much and it all worked out but anyway i mean, I mean once now in a while and, yeah now and again you still donk it and it's it's like I, I feel it adds some realism and charm to our broadcast <laughs> every once in a while you guys won't catch on but tim's chair creaks and every once in a while, I hear the chair creak. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I, it's just funny because I'm like, oh, there's the chair. <laughs> I, I, I can exclusively reveal at some point I am going to buy a new chair because mm. the, the little gas canister in the bottom of this office chair is starting to leak. So when I come and sit down in this thing, I always have to do the thing to make it pop back up again. <laughs> so, and I had an office chair the same once before. And once it starts doing that, it's, it's pretty much game over. So at some point... I'm going to have to buy another office chair. And the other thing is this office chair, you may have seen it. Well, if you've ever been on a Zoom call with me, you see some of the videos that I've made on the internet, you'll see this chair is white. And we we have a little cat who has like a permanent ca- a kennel cough type thing because we adopted him for a shelter. And he has a little bit of a snotty oh, nose. Oh, Jack. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm forever cleaning this chair with Clorox wipes for his uh, snotty deposit. So I'd be happy not to have a chair that's white so I don't see that anymore. Well, I would suggest I've got a nice gaming chair that's got a little neck rest here and it is black. So, you know, there's my um, uh, there's my option. All right. Anyway, so back to the music. Oh, oh Tim, it's your favorite. It's, 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 that, it's that classic era. I, I launched into that. I launched into that decade at age six, ready to explore the world. It is number six is Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven. See, that that that's in the hotel california category that iconic amazing song but i don't ever need to hear that again can i hear cashmere instead or rain song or bronua stomp or any other led zeppelin song except that one that's fair but i mean to be fair the songs did kind of develop what the rest of a music looked like for us as a generation. So we appreciate them. We're just saying we would like people to just step out of the realm. All right. Number seven is Don McLean's American Pie. Mm-hmm. Number eight is the Beatles. Let it be. Number nine is Stevie Wonder's Superstition. And then number 10 is Derek and the Dominoes, Layla. Yeah. Interesting fact. Another interesting fact about Layla now, it's known as an Eric Clapton, Derek mm-hmm. and the Dominoes song, but did you know that all of the lead guitar on that track is not played by Eric Clapton? I think we talked about it briefly, but who plays it? It's played by Dwayne Allman from Allman hmm. Brothers fame. He, he oh, did, yeah. He did a lot of session work um, before and during when he was in the Allman Brothers, and I think he was friendly with Eric Clapton, and when they were working through Layla... Eric Clapton at the time was cooler, far cooler than he is now and recognized the fact that Dwayne Ullman was playing all those parts much better than he was. So he said, well, I'll play the rhythm parts, Dwayne, and you play all the leads. At least he was honest with himself. I will say Layla is a song that I'm very familiar with. It's one of my mother's favorites. And people who don't know this, No Day Music Class cast exclusive, Joy is a twin. And my twin sister's name is Brandy. She's named Brandy from the song Brandy, You're a Fine Girl, about the fine young looking glass. I am named Joy. You haven't picked up on that. Um, there's two debates on where my name comes from. One is that my mother watched the show called um, The Waltons, which is a Southern soap opera, and a baby died on it, and they were going to name Joy, and mom liked the name. Then my dad debates that it's from the song Joy to the World from um, Three Dogs Night. Mm-hmm. But the other option, the other name that was, was scudded out there was Layla from the song Layla. So me and my twin sister are named after music. This is how we came to be. Fantastic. I used to work with somebody called Layla. Hmm. I mean, it's a pretty day. But yeah, that was another one my mom liked, and it's because of the song Layla, and it's one of her favorites. So I've seen that one and heard that one many times in my life. Oh, the 1980s. I give you one guess, Tim, who is the number one artist of the 1980s. It's not a trick. 
I don't know. I'd like to think it's someone like Donna Summer or something, but it's probably not. It's Michael Jackson. Oh, of course. I, I, I don't, I don't <laughs> know why I didn't think of that. Thriller, Beat It, Billie Jean. It's because when you're put on the spot, your brain goes, I don't know, maybe. Well, because <laughs> your brain doesn't go to the obvious choices because mm-hmm. often with these kind of top ten lists, you're like, oh, really? Wow, I didn't know, think that. So the number one song is Billie Jean. Um, the number two song is AKA the stalker song, the police, every breath you take. <laughs> so I'm going to give that thing about Ross at questioning if I knew what the song. Was. <laughs> so we, me and Tim work with a coworker and they did a video. Ross does a lot of our video editing and different things. And what was the every breath you take video for? I don't even remember. It, it was it was for a certain thing that we were rolling out in our organization That's where was. you had to there was advising to do one thing and not do another thing. So anyway, um, a friend of ours, Mike, I won't give his last name because he might not be comfortable with it. It's a fairly good singer and good musician. He was singing every breath you take. Well, Tim is wailing away on the guitar in this video. And there's like a whole elaborate thing. Anyway. I wrote Ross saying, what song is Tim playing? And I did not mean what song is every breath you take by the police. (laughs) I just wasn't sure if they just had a video of Tim randomly wailing and lined it up with the song. I didn't. You know what I mean, Tim? I wasn't sure if the video footage was you actually playing every breath you take. So then I got questioned by (laughs) Ross as he very sternly did I not know (laughs) about sticking the police. And every breath you take. And I was like, no, that's not what I meant. I can, I can tell you that version was recorded in the classic method of recording all the guitar bits first. And then when you come to cut the video, you, you're playing along to what you've already played. But I did play all those parts. And we had a great morning in our office with a massive green screen up doing proper work <laughs> of making a pop video. Just saying. <laughs> I mean, I'm not complaining. I just wasn't 100% sure if you would actually like recorded you wailing there with the green screen or if they just saw another video. You know what I mean? Of you yeah, wailing oh, away. no, no. We, we, we have a lot of integrity when it comes to okay. making a corporate video. I mean, I'm, as, as you know, like our organization that we work for, if you get put on hold, it's a song that I wrote and recorded. I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, God help me for questioning that. Anyway, <laughs> number three is one that I can't stand to hear anymore i like the song i just can't say it. it's guns and roses sweet child of mine i could my brain can never ever accept any more of that's that the song. other one that tim can't hear oh i i've almost played it in every single band i've ever been in since it came out when, when, when it came out 89 or something like that but 87 yeah so i've played it in every band i've ever been in almost ever give or take and i've played that song <laughs> without exaggeration thousands of times i cannot accept it into my brain anymore if i listen to appetite for destruction track seven or track eight it has to be skipped in my itunes library i've got every instance of it as skip when shuffling because i just never want to hear it and when i hear that opening those hope that opening figure on the guitar i don't know it's like a dagger in my brain i just cannot hear it and that is the exact way Joy feels about Sweet Home Alabama. So there you go, everybody. Yeah, um, Sweet Sweet Home Alabama is like slightly underneath that. No, Sweet Home Alabama is above it for me. And then Sweet Child of Mine is like, and then it's probably Stairway to Heaven. And then actually, no, you know the one that does it for me? <sighs> Don't Stop Believing Journey. Yeah, that was a great song until people decided it was a great song again. And then it's Why utterly- did it resurgence? Where did it come from? It was. It wasn't it in Glee or high school. Oh, yeah. No, I was going to explain that to you. I know the answer when they brought it back. <laughs> to, I was going to told this to Tim. Yeah, it became real popular again after Glee made this big thing about Journey. But yeah, I just I can't that and um I can't hear. Oh, sweet Caroline. Bum bum bum. Everybody loses their mind. All right. I'm just going <laughs> to run through the rest of the 80s real quick for the sake of time. It's Prince, When Doves Cry, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. I love rock and roll. Another one that I'm kind of like, eh, I could do with that. Joan Jett has some great music, though. Sure. Um, you two with or without you. Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer. Lionel Richie and Diana Ross, Endless Love. Ben Halen's Jump and Michael Jackson's Beat It. You know what's really interesting to me? Between the 70s and the 80s, there was really only one disco song. Hmm. Well, I guess Endless Love maybe is disco. 
It's a ballad. Yeah. It's a, just... I, I wouldn't consider it disco. But you think like 70s is the era that you think of as disco, but you, you would expect there to be, I don't know, village people or something up there, but no. It was just the Bee Gees, Stay It Alive, which was the year of that movie too. So, you know, that kind of plays into it. It's just very interesting. I guess we don't realize that, yes, there was that big surge of disco, but it was still a subset of people who were really into it. Like my mom was a big disco fan, but my dad was it. You know what I mean? And they're both mm. alive during this time. But anyway, it's just really, the more I did that, the more I was like, oh, okay. The 1990s, Tim, once again, it's very obvious who would be number one. Probably Michael Jackson again. It's actually Whitney Houston. Oh, I, 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 can, I can get behind that. Whitney. It is. I will always love you. Whitney Houston is number one. Which is a Dolly Parton song. Parton song. Yep. Number two is a band that me and Tim have spoken about that we have mixed feelings about. It is Nirvana Smells Like Deep Spirit. Yeah, I'm not a fan of Nirvana. It's not music that I particularly enjoy, but people like it. And that's and if you like it, continue to like it. But it doesn't surprise me that it's up there because it was the height of grunge. It developed a whole age of music, I think, in the 90s and kind of led. They were the forefront of that, even though they really were only a band for a short amount of time. Sure. I mean, like Dave Grohl has had Foo Fighters for like three times as long as Nirvana ever existed. And people still think of him as Nirvana, I would imagine. It's still pro- probably an ongoing issue for him. All right. Number three is Brian Adams. Everything I do, I do it for you. Yeah, that song that was at number one in the UK for 15 weeks or 14 weeks or something. I remember the summer that was out. You could not escape that. And he's still one that Brian Adams is still one that's played on the radio all the time. Like if you clicked over to 99.1 for us, Tim, it could be a Brian Adams song at any given time. Yeah, Cuts really Like a Knife, that. Summer of 69, Only mm-hmm. Thing Looks Good on Me Is You. Et cetera, et cetera. I mean, how many times have you heard those were the best days of our life? It was the summer of 69. Again, <laughs> another song that I've almost played in every band I've ever been in. I'm not quite as burnt on that as Sweet Child of Mine, but I've I've played that song enough, so it's it's nestling near the top. Luckily, the last few bands I've been in have not played it, so it has mm. somewhat fallen off my never want to hear it again list. I'm not like Brian Adams for me is a take it or leave it kind of person. Like the music is good, but I'm not, I don't ever go out of my way to listen to Brian Adams. No, but one thing I can confirm about Brian Adams in a recent interview, he said he did buy his uh, first real six string in the five and dime, the five and dime store somewhere in uh, <laughs> Vancouver where he lives. Yeah, that was confirmed. And he said it was a Les Paul copy. Well, great, Tim. If that song wasn't stuck in anybody's head, now it officially <laughs> is. All right. Just for the sake of time, I'm going to run through the next. and just kind of hitting the top three and then run it through the rest. It's Sinead O'Connor, Nothing Compares to You, which she had that famous SNL bit, if you've never seen that. Um, number five is Celine Dion, My Heart Will Go On. Mm-hmm. Number six is Elton John's Candle in the Wind, the 1997 version, the Goodbye England's Rose, you know, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Number seven is R.E.M.'s Losing My Religion. Number eight is the British pop famous um, war thing you guys had going, Oasis Wonderwall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You could have predicted it. Number nine is the Macarena. I mean, it's fabulous. And as I've said before in our Christmas episode, for for the enthusiasts, the definitive version (laughs) is the Christmas Macarena, the joy mix. It can be be enjoyed at any time of year. (laughs) I mean, it was amazing. And number 10 is U2's One. Yeah. I like some U2... Some U2 is meh. It's, they, they, they have great iconic songs and they have songs that don't really do a great deal for me. I'm kind of that way too. They kind of, I kind of struggle with them. I kind of associate them with like, um, what is that band that, oh God, the clock song. The clock song. The guy song. used to date Gwyneth Paltrow. The, the oh, Chris. Coldplay. Yeah, like I kind of have that same thing with like the Coldplay bands. Like I associate YouTube in that realm. Like they're okay, and like if they're on, I like them, but I'm not going out of my way to hear them. Yeah, Coldplay, Coldplay is like YouTube light. 
<laughs> That's a great way to say it. I love how I got there. I'm like that clock song and he dated Gwyneth Paltrow and his name was Chris, which like it was like a name that so like I couldn't tell you the actual name and Tim had to figure it out from there. I don't know. I'm just like, um, what is the one that there is one U2 song that I really like and I can't think of the name of it. With and Without You is amazing. It's the one where he goes, um, he speak, he does the countdown in Spanish. But oh, he Vertigo. Says like, yeah, that's probably my favorite U2 song. I have a particular memory of that song. We used to, when we had the jam in West Drayton with Ian and co, they, there was a guy came down called Leon and Leon was a real character. And sadly, Leon's no longer with us, but he was a mm-hmm. super amazing character. And I played some gigs with him over the years and he stood up on the table. I actually have a photograph of this. He stood up on the table in the back room of the Fox and Pheasant. They had parkan lights up there and he puts the, this baking hot parkan light up to his face and he goes, all of this, all of this can be yours. All of this, all of this, just like the lyric in the song. It was yeah. hilariously amazing. <laughs> well, at least if he's no longer with you, you have great memories. I do. I, I, try, awesome. I, ch- I cherish that memory. And the fact I have a picture of that incident as well. <laughs> well, we're going to step out of maybe Tim's knowledge base a little bit here, y'all. We're going out of the 90s into the 2000s. <laughs> okay, I'm strapped in. I'm ready for this. So the top ten is. I feel like you're gonna know them though, because they're top ten songs. Like they're the most of these you generally may know. Number one is Outcast. Hey y'all, I feel like you've it. heard that song. I've heard that song. Do you know how to shake it like a Polaroid picture, Tim? No. Do you know that <laughs> the song? He's like shake it, shake it like a Polaroid. Okay, Tim did get the reference. It went right past him. All right. <laughs> Number two, it's another band I feel like you've heard of. It's the Black Eyed Peas, and it's I Got a Feeling. I do know that song. So, Tim, are you feeling that song? <laughs> Personally, for me, I prefer Where Is the Love by uh, Black Eyed Peas. It's a great track. All right, number three is Eminem, Lose Yourself. I have, have we... ne- probably never heard that in my life. Oh, well, we lost him on that one. <laughs> God, I already know I'm going to lose him on this next one. <laughs> Just say this, Tim's eyes are going to be like blank stare. It's Usher with Little Wade and Ludacris. Yeah. I've never heard that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I assume. You know, so Lil John is the one that's really famous for like, actually, you won't know this. He just like comes <laughs> and raps songs. He goes like, yeah, okay. Like on repeat. And that's like his whole thing. I thought Little John was something to do with Robin Hood. I have no idea. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> I knew this was going to be funny, and I'm not going to ch- torture Tim with the 2010s. We're going to cut off in 2000. But, all right. <laughs> well, you've at least heard of these artists. It's Beyonce and Jay-Z's Crazy in Love. I've heard of both of them. I've not heard that song. <laughs> it's like. You just like went under a rock. (laughs) (laughs) I like the strike. So Tim literally is the person that Prince wrote. We're going to party like it's 1999 for the rest of his life. (laughs) Let me just tell you something, Joy. (laughs) I did a Katy Perry episode about 10 episodes ago. And there was music from the 20 somethings in there. (laughs) I'm giving you our time. All right. (laughs) Number... Six is Gnarls Barkley Crazy. Yes, that is a good song. I've played that. My friend Kirk has that as a kind of like jam band rock mm-hmm. song. I've played it with him many times. That is a great song. And the definitive live version of that song is from the MTV Music Awards. No, MTV Movie Awards, where him and his whole band are dressed up as Star Wars characters. And hot take for everybody. Gnarls Barkley is not one person. No, his name is CeeLo Green. Niles Barkley is the name of the, the, the that project or band. It's a duo. It's CeeLo Dream, and then it's like Danger Mouse or something is the other guy's name. But well, anyway. Penfold, whatever his name is. Whatever he goes by. But yes, Niles Barkley is not the name of a person. All right. But I, I mean, to be fair, if you just wrote Niles Barkley on paper, I probably would think it was one guy. It doesn't allude to multiple people. No, no isn't, that, isn't that some reference to a basketball player or something? Oh, well, you got me on that one, Tim. I have no clue. Is it Charles Barkley was oh. a, was a uh, basketball player? I think it's some reference to that. Sure. I think. I could be wrong. 
But somebody literally screaming at us going, no, absolutely not, Tim. <laughs> we don't have sports either. All right. <laughs> All right. Beyonce, single lady. I am familiar with that song. I've heard that one. Oh, God, though. I was a senior in high school when that one came out. And I mean, everywhere, Tim. Everywhere. You could not get away from single lady. I wonder if you'll be familiar with this. It's Rihanna with Jay-Z's Umbrella. I you have stand heard under that. My umbrella, Ella, Ella. You've heard that song, right? I've heard, I've heard that because a Swedish band called the Baseballs covered it, and I know it from that. <laughs> Such a very distinct reason to know it. <laughs> and okay, here we go. Here's the song of my high school life. It's Flo Rida and T Pain Low. Yes, I am for very. I'm very <laughs> familiar with that one. If you've ever DJed anything, I feel like you have to know that song, right? I have. I've used that in a disco situation. I've had boots with the fur and everything. I, I'm. I'm aware of that one. So, question is though, are you like okay? I just have an image of you like DJ at the Moose Lodge at Pulaski, <laughs> and Low comes on, and it's like a subset of forty people, like. I feel like the age range of people at the Moose Lodge aren't getting low without like breaking a hip. You would be surprised what copious <laughs> amounts of alcohol that they've brought in. Cause, cause as we said before at the Moose Lodge, you can buy like wine or wine coolers or beer at the bar. But if you want to bring liquor, hard spirits in, you have to bring it yourself. So people bring these massive bottles of things in. So you imagine, you know, one hour into their Moose Lodge evening, they're absolutely smashed. And you stick a bit of uh, <laughs> a bit of low on. I tell you, they're getting low. You mix it in with the Cupid <laughs> Shuffle, and I tell you, it's the best night they've ever had. Fair enough. All right. Number 10 is Mariah Carey's We Belong Together. I'm not familiar with that one. But you at least know who Mariah Carey is. Yeah, I'm of not course. Gonna- go into the whole 2010s, but you will be familiar with the first one. At least we've talked about this person before. It's Mark Ronson and Bruno Mars's Uptown, Uptown Funk. Yeah, and I've played that. And in fact, I've even recorded that song. We, uh, in the last band I was in, that was on that, that was a song that was very popular and we recorded it on our demo. So I, yeah. I will say, I adore Bruno Mars and I love Uptown Funk. And Mark Ronson's a great producer, like amazing. He's one of those virtuoso types. I don't, I don't know how much you know about him, Tim, but he's one of those that's done a little bit of everything, producing music, good musician, like just he's famous in the industry as being that person. Sure. But, um, but I mean, he goes back to playing with Amy Winehouse on Valerie. Like that's a Mark Ronson produce production. But anyway, I loved Uptown Funk when it came out. I was a dead set. And then I got so burnt on it because it was one of those songs that was like upbeat and happy and everybody loved it, but it was also clean. So it could be played on every Ellen DeGeneres TV show and commercial. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? It was very commercial. You just took out that one part where he says like a word, I can't say hot blank, you know, it was socially acceptable, right. To play that one everywhere. So it became like, you know, like on Facebook when, Oh God, I'm going to insult someone. An older generation does like the memes and it's always got like the minions on it or something. Yeah. yeah. You know, it became like that, like they could enjoy that. And I think it played on some of those kind of, and Mark Ronson does this very well. It kind of played on those 70. Uh, Mark Ronson also did that album with Lady Gaga too, where she did kind of like a country sound. Um, there's like a song called eight, but that's just kind of his thing. But I think it played on like almost like a disco upbeat seventies kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. And so I think it transcended and I got so burnt out of it and never wanted to hear it again. Yeah. I mean, I played it a lot in the last band and I, I actually really enjoyed it and I'm not too burned out on it. I but, I would it take, but I would say one thing though, people loved it. Mm-hmm. You know, when you play, we was asked to put it in our set and we, we didn't think it was a song that we could do because it was outside of the realm of the music that we were playing. And we took, you know, two or three practices. We really nailed it and people loved it. Well, I will say I can hear it now. Like if I wanted to, if I put on a Bruno Mars, like out, like, you know, selection playlist or whatever, it were come on. I can hear it now. But in the height of Uptown Funk, I was like, never again. I've done. Exactly. But I also see why it sold. Like it just, you know what I mean? It was like you said, everybody loved it. It's just one of those songs. I almost feel like it had like almost like a Marvin Gaye kind of thing going for it too. Yeah. Of a fashion. I mean, it, it had that kind of vibe, that I suppose. Glow. 
Exactly. Which is something that I really like. I like that kind of sound. So for me, you know, I would have seek. I would have been somebody who would have so seek seeked it. Whatever that word sort is. Sort it out. out, Joy. You would have sorted it out. <laughs> That's <laughs> what Tim said. And with that, that is the end of our decades. Were there any? I mean, I think they're all pretty obvious, honestly. Yeah, well, I tell you what, I tell you how I've, I think a good way to close this episode out, and I think this will be perfect, and I will be using yes-no answers for this very okay. last thing. So all your remaining 2010 songs you haven't got to, I want you to read them out to me, and I will be saying yes if I've heard of it or no if I haven't, and that's where we will leave this episode. All right. Ed Sheeran, Shape of You. No. Adele's Rolling in the Deep. No. Pharrell's Happy? Yes. Okay. Oh God, I don't even. I can't. Louise Fozzie with Daddy Yankee and Justin Bieber's to speed. That's a speed though. No, no. I knew that was a no. I could hardly even say it. Um, Goethe with Kimbra is somebody that I used to know. No. Um, Robin Thicke with Ti and Pharrell Williams blurred lines. Yes. Probably because they got sued. All right. <laughs> Carly Rae Jepsen's Call Me Baby. No. Adele's Hello. No. Little Nas with Billy Ray Cyrus, Old Town Road. No. Well, you didn't miss any. I think on the last one. <laughs> I hate that song. I hate that song. And that's where I'll leave it. <laughs> See you later, everybody. Bye. Bye. <laughs>